Welcome to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. We're so glad that you've joined us in our series, Easter, The Jesus Way. Jesus is our ultimate example for how we should live our lives. In this series, we are looking at Jesus's ministry, from his calling to his victory over the grave. We are walking alongside his journey to the cross, to his death and burial, and then to his resurrection. Each week, we will be deep diving into chapters 15 through 21 of the Gospel of John, leading us all the way to celebrate Christ's victory over the grave on Easter Sunday. Now let's tune in. All right, John chapter 16, that's where we're going to be this morning. Uh, Jason, I don't know in what world lions running around the park would be awesome and more exciting. Uh, However, I mean, I guess we could give it a shot. That uh, definitely gets some uh, people talking around town, I guess. Hey, uh, John chapter 16, that's where we're going to be this morning as we continue through the series, uh, The Jesus Way. So if you want to grab that, uh, open to that spot, uh, we'll be there in just a minute. Uh, you know, we are in this, this uh, series called The Jesus Way. It's our Easter series kind of leading us up uh, to Easter Sunday morning. Uh, and, and the reason why this is called The Jesus Way is goes, kind of goes back to John chapter 14. When, Jesus, when, when Thomas, Thomas asks a question and Jesus responds uh, to to his question, he says, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so Jesus answers, I am the way. And so the way, Jesus is the way, and the way of Jesus. And over the next several weeks, what we're working through is the difference between the way of Jesus and Jesus' way of life and, and how he's called us to live and the way that the world kind of presents as, as, as a, a way of life, the way the culture and the world says it. And so my prayer and kind of my prayer over the next several weeks and as we work through this series is that the Holy Spirit really opens our eyes over and over again as we work through these passages of Scripture in the final chapters of John uh, to the Jesus way. That is the way to relationship. It's the restoration of relationship. It's the way to uh, the relationship that we were created for, to redemption, to restoration that our hearts long for. It's the way to hope and to peace and to true joy and to the real life that we were created for. The Jesus way that we're going to see today, it doesn't shy away from the reality that there's troubles and sorrows, but rather that he meets us in the, when we face that grief and sorrow and trouble, he meets us in the middle of that and he transforms it into joy. And so as we look at chapter 16, and kind of give you a little bit of context for the, what's going on here. The, uh, in the book of John uh, overall, the first 12 chapters cover about three years of Jesus's ministry. And so Jesus, has, John opens his, his gospel a little bit different than the other ones, but really right off the bat, after kind of the introduction of Jesus in, in kind of a different way than the other gospels do, right off the bat we kind of get into the middle of ministry. And so all of these chapters, 1 through 12, kind of cover these, first, these three years of Jesus' ministry. And then we get to chapter 13, and from 13 all the way to 19, it really kind of everything slows down. Really 13 to 20, everything really slows down. And, and really if you just look at 13 to 19, it, what happens? is the upper room, right? This is where Jesus meets with the disciples and he washes their feet and inaugurates the communion, Lord's Supper, all of those things. And then the things that follow that between 13 and 19, when Jesus is in the upper room and 19, when Jesus is in the tomb. And those chapters right there is about 24 hours. It's about 24 hours when Jesus is sitting in the upper room with the disciples, washing their feet to the time that he's in the tomb. 
And if you go to chapter 20 and his resurrection, we're really looking at, if we're, if we're doing just some conservative math over those days, we're looking at, a, and, and by the end of chapter 20, appearing to the, to the disciples, we're looking at about, about 80 hours. And so we've got 12 chapters that cover three years, and then we've got eight chapters that covers three or four days of Jesus' life. And so, it, I mean, just looking at what happens in these, and the way it slows down, I would say it's safe to say that this is a pretty important section of Scripture, a stretch of Scripture. And scholars have called this section from 13, really where it begins to teach, to, to 16, is, is really what they call the final discourse, meaning his final teachings with the disciples. One author and, and pastor says this, nowhere else in Scripture, nowhere else in Scripture is the sovereignty, uh, the sovereignty of Christ's deity and the tenderness of Christ's humanity so clearly seen. Nowhere else is his speech at once so simple and so deep. Nowhere else is the heart of God so un unveiled so clearly for us to see. And so in these words, in these chapters, in this chapter 16, which is very, the end of this teaching, 13, 14, 15, 16, is the end of that teaching, that final discourse that Jesus has with his disciples. We really get to see clearly the heart of Jesus as he teaches his disciples. Verse 1 of chapter 16, and we're going to read verse 1 and verse 33, kind of the bookends, the, the, two, the start and the end of this. And just to kind of see what Jesus' heart is here. It says in verse 1, it says, All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. In verse 33, it says, I've told you these things so that in me you will have peace. In the world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you that you meet us here. And God, we cry out in the songs that we sing, Lord, as we open up your word, we cry out that you would meet us here. And God, that you would not pass us by, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on us. And that you would open our eyes to see the beautiful things in your word, Lord. That you would hope, open our hearts to understand them and our minds to understand them. And that give us the courage to walk in obedience to you from what your word tells us. Don't pass us by this morning, Jesus. Come and heal, bring healing and hope and joy. Transform our sorrow, as your word says. Transform that sorrow, that trouble into joy. We thank you for what you're doing and the fact that we get to be a part of it this morning. And I thank you for these people that I get to worship with and serve alongside. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen and amen. If you have your worship guides, as Jason said, you can follow along. And the first point, the first of the three things we want to kind of point out from chapter 16 is this. And right there at the beginning, it says, Jesus addresses his disciples' troubles honestly. Jesus addresses his disciples' troubles honestly. Their sorrow and their troubles. It says in the, in the, in the very beginning, right there in the, first, in the first part of this chapter, that their hearts are filled with sorrow. In verse 6, it says, rather, you, you are filled with grief because of what I've said, because I've said these things to you. He recognizes in these hours that he spent with them, in these, this little bit of time before he goes to the cross, he recognizes as he's talking to them, as these final teachings, that there's sorrow that begins to fill his, their hearts. And so as he's processing this, he recognizes, he says, he, so what, what, what has he told them that's really brought them to this place? If you go back to the beginning, again, what we read just a second ago, it says, all this I've told you so that you won't fall away. Verse 2, he says, they, put, they will put you out of the synagogues. In fact, there's a time coming when anyone who kills you will think that they've offered a service to God. They will do such things because they, know, they, they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this. 
so that when the time comes that you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not need to tell you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you ask where I'm going. It's an incredibly important for us to kind of pause and understand what, what Jesus is saying, like culturally, the gravity of what Jesus is saying. Like culturally, what happens in this passage when Jesus says, hey, they're going to, how devastating this would be when he said, they're going to be a moment when they kick you out of the church, out of the synagogue, where they say, you're no longer welcome here. And, and on top of that, not only are they going to say you're not, not welcome, there's going to be people who are going to, who are going to attempt to take your life and they're going, to off, they're going to think that they're doing a service to the Lord in the process. I mean, it's just, this is... An incredible, and like the weight of what's happening. Could you imagine getting, getting that planning center invite in your box if you serve on Sunday mornings, right? If you're part of the core team and, and some of you got the invites, we're going to have a, a special time for the core team, those people who serve on Sunday mornings uh, to, to meet at the building. Uh, that's April 2nd, so just a couple weeks from now. And so we, we just want to start with that core team. But could you imagine the core team, people who are like serving on Sunday, getting the, the invite to be like, hey, we need you to kick some guys out and why don't you go ahead and take their lives. I mean, serving in the preschool, taking somebody's life as a service to life. I mean, that's, I don't, I think that's a little bit of stretch, right? It's a pretty far difference. And we talked about this before, but it bears repeating, Jesus is going to speak honestly to the disciples' troubles that they face. He's saying, hey, listen, you, I want you to hear these things. And not only does Jesus say it, but throughout Scripture we see it. James, the brother of Jesus, mentions, he said, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds because it is a testing of your faith that develops perseverance. They're going to face sorrow. First Peter, it tells us, Job says this, that yet man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upward. We're all going to face troubles and sorrows. It's, it's a part of living in a broken world. And what's important about what Jesus tells the disciples, and why does he tell them this, is because he wants to help them. Right? He's not trying to scare them. He's trying to help them. He, he's, he says it in the, in the first chapter. I, I want, I've told you these things so you don't fall away. You're, face, you're going to face all these things. You're going to face being, being kicked out. I want you to know that these things are a reality so that you don't fall away when, you're, when, you, face, when you experience this, that you're not surprised by them. I think there's a reality for us right now that a lot of us are sidelined by sorrow or sidelined by trouble and fear, by sidelined by the, by the challenges that we face on a daily basis simply because we think that they're not going to happen. That many of us have gone through sorrow, we've gone through moments in, in, in our lives, whether it's with our kids or with our spouses or with our family or, or something that with our jobs, whatever. And we've been sidelined because of them because we don't expect there to be challenges in our lives. And the reality is that there's nothing in Scripture that would tell us that everything's going to be easy. Actually, the contrary is true. And I don't think that we're doing our, our, our culture and our, the next generation a great, a great service when we, when we teach them these things and when we teach them the, the, the trophy society where everybody gets an award at the end. I don't think we're doing them any service. I don't think we're doing anything to help people with this entitlement culture to teach them that things are going to be tough. 
I watch middle school and high school students who, who truly wrestle with things at a level that I think there's no reason for you to, to struggle with something that's the smallest of challenges. But until that point, we've shielded them from so many things that are a challenge and they don't know how to handle it. But Jesus says you're going to face these things. We're not helping them when we're not, when, we're not, when, when we're not allowing them to walk them, when we're shielding them from. Jesus doesn't shield them. He says you're going to face them. He doesn't try to keep them from them. He says you're going to face them. And we'll, we'll see even in next week as he, as he prays to the Lord. He, he says don't take them out of the world, but protect them. Help them while they're in it. I, I think about in America how, how a lot of the, for us, we've been shielded a lot from the persecution that happens uh, of the church and of Christians that happens all over the world. And, and in fact, uh, Newsweek in 2018 uh, wrote an article and, and the title of it was Christians, Christian persecution and genocide is worse now than at any time in history. It's the title. It goes on to talk about how across the world that, that Christian persecution and, and, and like killing Christians for, for being faithful is at the highest that it's ever been. And it's worsened. In this study from, 15 to, from 2015 to 2017, it had worsened in those two years to the previous years. And it certainly hasn't gotten better since this report was published. In fact, Open Doors Ministries uh, that tracks the persecuted church and um, the Voice of the Martyrs, two ministries that track the persecuted church all over the world, says that last year there were 5,621 Christians who gave their lives for their faith across the world. I have a buddy who's a, who's a pastor in India. He's, he's Indian and he's a pastor and a church planner and planted thousands of churches, and that's not an exaggeration, thousands of churches, and not like this, small little churches and neighborhoods. And, and through his ministry, he's planted those churches and set men up and, and planting churches and neighborhoods all over different pockets of India. And, and, and he will, before he'll baptize somebody into the faith, and we're talking about baptism, we're going to have baptisms on Easter Sunday morning. If you have not been baptized, we'd love for you to be baptized. But listen to what he talks to these men and women that he baptizes. Before he baptizes them, he says in public, public places where they baptize, he says, are you willing to leave your home? Are you willing to lose the blessing of your father, to lose your job, to be beaten for the confession that you're about to make publicly? And if they're not willing in that moment to say yes, then he won't baptize them. Because he knows that these men and women are, 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 are there's like, the likelihood of them losing these things is real, that even losing their lives is real for them. We don't experience the same thing, but, but the reality is that all over the world, there are individuals that, that walk, with, that are brothers and sisters of, of Christ with us that are facing these kind of things. And Jesus warned his disciples that they would face it, and many of them did. And he's warning us today that you're going to face trials and tribulations. You're going to face sorrow, but I don't want you to be sidelined from it. I want you to hear that these things are going to happen. So he addresses the disciples' trouble with honesty. He's preparing them for what they will face. But secondly, not only is he doing that, but he interrupts the disciples' trouble with hope. He interrupts the disciples' trouble with hope. If you keep working through the passage, verse 5, it says, But now I'm going to the one who sent me. And you don't ask me where I'm going. Verse 6, rather, you are filled with grief because, of what, because I've said these things. 
But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Because unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I, I know all of us at some level have experienced pain or loss. We've been separated from someone that we love. And, and I, I, would, I would guess that all of us in some way can sympathize with the disciples in this moment when they realize that Jesus is going away. Or he's telling them, I'm going away. I'm not going to be with you forever. But I, I, don't, I, I wonder if we can understand what it means or, or how they process the reality that he says, when, you go, when I go away, it's for your advantage. He said, I'm going to go, but, but nevertheless, when I go, here's the truth, it's for your good. And so what he's doing is he's interrupting their trouble with hope. He says, it's for your advantage. It's better. It's profitable. It's, it's beneficial for me to go because in my going, there's something good for you. And so to understand that, so how can it be better that Jesus is going to go? And I would say two reasons, and I'll just kind of fly through these two reasons because I think that they're really important. First one, first reason is because in the, it's where he's going. It's where, what is good for them is where he's going. Because we know, we can look in Revelation and we can see that in Revelation that, that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. And so eventually Jesus is going to end up in heaven. He's going to end up at the right hand of the Father on the throne where he's going to reign forever and ever, right? But between the right hand of the Father, between heaven and this moment, he's going to go to a Roman cross. And on a Roman cross, Jesus is going to lay down his life. When he says, it's good that I go, I'm going to the Father. But on the way to going to the Father, I'm going to lay my life down on a cross. And in laying my life down on a cross, I'm going to pay the penalty that was, that was due for you and for me. Or for, for you and I, he's going to pay the penalty for you and I, for the disciples, and for all of the world for their sin. That whoever would put their trust in him could have eternal life. And so it's for their good that he would go, that he would leave them for this moment, that he's going to walk into death. He's going to lay down his life. Nobody takes, that, takes his life. He's going to lay down his life for us. And it's good that he goes because he has to go for that. He has to lay down his life in order for us to receive the victory and the joy that, over sin and to receive salvation. So it's a cross. He, he, he goes to the cross before he goes to the Father. And so that's the first part that's for our good. But secondly, it's that he's going to give us the Holy Spirit. He's going to the cross, but in the, in the process, he's going to lay down his life and raise from the dead, and he's going to give the Holy Spirit. J.D. Greer, pastor and author, wrote, wrote this in, in his book, Gaining by Losing, and, and he makes this observation about these words. He says, can you imagine how absurd that statement must have sounded to the first disciples? They've enjoyed the personal company for three years, and now he's telling them that it would be their, to their advantage that he would leave them. I mean, how awesome would it be to walk with Jesus for three years? These are, these are his words. These are J.D. Greer's words, okay? Some of you are going to get mad at me at the end of this one, but it's not mine. I'm just repeating it. I may agree with it, but I may not. I don't know. <laughs> Have a hard theology question? Bam, Jesus answers that question. Walk three years with him. How awesome would it be? If you're throwing a church fellowship, you run out of checks mix, bam, Jesus multiplies a checks mix. And there's even enough that people go home with bags of checks mix, bowls and bowls. If your dog gets run over, bam, Jesus rescue, resurrects your dog back to life. If your cat gets run over, bam, Jesus helps you dig a hole so you can bury your cat. <laughs> I saw some of you walk in and you're like, man, I'm going to tell that joke. They're going to be mad at me, but it's not mine. That's J.D. Greer's. I may or may not agree with it. You can make your mind up on that. May, so, but, but the reality is, right, 
truthfully to really understand what Jesus is doing, go back to verse 7. He says, he says, truly I tell you, it is for your good that I go away. Because unless I go away, the advocate cannot come. But if I go, then I will send him to you. And, and truly, like for us, for all of us, there's a, an immense gap for us in what we understand, what the disciples understood at this moment and what we understand even today of what Jesus was giving us when he was going. The gift of salvation, incredible. But secondly, the, the gift of the Holy Spirit to live inside of it. Listen, if we understood it, Jesus leaving to go, laying down on the cross, salvation, awesome, but going to be with the Father and sending the Holy Spirit, the advocate, to be with us. If we had the choice between Jesus walking on the earth and just continuing to walk on the earth with these 11 disciples and spending that time with him, if we had the choice between that and the Holy Spirit coming to dwell inside all those who put their faith in Jesus, we would choose him dwelling inside of us in the Holy Spirit every time. But the reality is we don't understand it. We don't get it. We don't understand the power and the presence of God living inside of us with the, the Holy Spirit taking up residence inside of us. What we, what we want, what we, what we think that we want, and, and under, we, we look at these things in, in life and, and we think we need these things, this relationship, this job, this salary, this achievement, the recognition, and the list goes on. But the greatest giver of all times has given us the two greatest gifts that we could ever ask for our salvation and the Holy Spirit to dwell inside of us. His presence and his power dwelling in us, that we can live the life that God has called us to live, that he's given us everything that we need for the life that he's called us to, that in saving us and rescuing us and making us new, but then also putting inside of us his spirit. Listen, he's given us what we could not get on our own. That we can live the life that he's called us. He says, be holy as I'm holy. We can't do that unless he gave us the gift of salvation and gave us the gift of his spirit to dwell inside of us. And then in verses 8 through 15, he explains what the Holy Spirit's going to do in the world as he goes. And he's going to continue the work that Jesus has started. And uh, we don't have time this morning to kind of flesh out those. Really, it's a sermon in and of itself. But I would in invite you, uh, even as you go through daily steps, and we have the daily steps. Uh, I think some of you got them this week or this morning as you came in. I know this is skipping forward, and for some of you, that's going to be something you don't want to do. But I would, I would encourage you just to go and, and read chapter 16, verses 8 through 15, and what the Holy Spirit does. What the Holy Spirit's going to do in the life of believers. And just the reality of what's going to happen because of the Holy Spirit living inside of us and he's going to do in the world. It's incredible. Grab a study Bible or some commentary to kind of help you flesh that. But if we're moving forward just a little bit, going to verses, starting in verse 16, as you... Look at these, the, the next section of passages. Some of you in your Bibles, it kind of gives you a headline. Maybe it says, the disciples' grief is turned into joy, or their sorrow will turn into joy, their sadness will be turned into joy. The title for us is that Jesus transforms the disciples' trouble into joy. So he interrupts with hope, he addresses honestly, and then he transforms that trouble that they are experiencing, that, that heart, that struggle that's inside of their heart. He's going to transform that trouble into joy. Verse 16, it says this. They just went on to say, in a little while you'll see me no more, and then after a little while you'll see me. 
And, and again, this is one of those places where the disciples are confused. Like there's no getting around it. There's been a lot that's come at them in these, these past couple of hours since Thursday night when they sat in this room, up, up a room, and, and they begin to lay out all of these things. There's a lot that's come at them. And so you can imagine if you've ever been to a point where you just, like your brain is just full, right? You, how, you can't process any more. Can imagine the disciples are at that point in this because there's some heavy things that they've talked about. I mean, Jesus has laid on so many things. And so what does he mean that you're going to send this helper and I'm going to see you in a little while and then I'm not going to see you? I mean, it's almost like he's trying to play divine pickaboo with them, right? And, but that's not what's happening. What Jesus is telling them, he's telling them that what's going to happen over these next couple of, couple of hours before he is resurrected from the dead and he'll appear to them again. And it tells us how they respond in verse 17. It says, At this some of the disciples said to one another, What does he mean by saying, In a little while you'll see me no more, and then after a little while you'll see me because I'm going to the Father. And they kept asking, What does he mean? In a little while. And we don't understand what he's saying. It's incredible to me, as you kind of just pause here, how often individuals in scripture, these characters that we, that we get to meet in scripture, these individuals that one day we'll spend eternity with, how they, these major figures, these disciples respond in really pedestrian ways in scripture, in ways that I would assume that I would respond, where I put them on a much different level, a much different kind of playing field, but they respond in ways that I feel like I would respond. And in the picture that I have of, of this moment where they're like, what does he mean? I'm going to do this. And it's, it's, it's like infants who are, trying to, who are trying to look at instructions on how to assemble a toy when their parents are standing next to them. When you can read maybe just a little bit, right? Maybe, maybe you, can, you can get some words, but you really don't know how to, under, you can't read and understand the instructions, but your parents are standing next to you. And rather than asking them for help, you just kind of, you, you try to talk between five-year-olds. Infants, they're not, infants are not five-year-olds, right? That's toddlers. Sorry, uh, you know, they all look the same at that age. <laughs> That's stupid. I shouldn't have said that. But he, the, this moment where they're just like, I, they're, they're talking to each other. And it's not like, it's not like this guy is going to get it if this guy doesn't, right? They're, they would rather when they're standing, when the king of kings and the lord of lords is standing right next to them. I think about, I think I can identify with them how often I'm confused and experience trouble and my life is full of sorrow and I can't figure it, but I think that I can figure it out on my own. Or I go to some self-help book or I go to somebody else and I'm not saying community is bad, but I go to them just to see if they can help me figure out what I need to do when reality is that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the creator of all things is standing next to me ready to receive my question, but I'm not asking him. I'm asking everybody else but the one who can answer it. What's incredible is that in this moment, in verse 19, it says that Jesus sees that they wanted to ask him about this. And so he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant? In a little while you'll see me no more, and after a little while you'll see me. Verse 20, very truly I tell you that you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will be turned into joy. And what I want us to hear this morning is this, that that Jesus knows the questions that you're asking. 
Jesus knows, Jesus knows the, 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 the things that are, that are causing you confusion and trouble. And I know that some of us in this room, because I know, because I've had conversations with you and, and have experienced some life with you, I know that some of you have big questions, you have big sorrows, you have big troubles that are filling your heart right now. And I want you to know that Jesus knows the questions that you're asking. He hears you. He cares about those questions. He cares about them the same way he cared about the disciples asking these questions to themselves and, and amongst each other. He knows them. He cares about them. He cares about you more than he cares about yourself. And he's ready to step in and to provide an answer for you, to give you direction for where you are right this moment. And he may not clear it all up. He may, and even at the end of this passage, we're not going to get to all of it. They think that they've got it all. And he's like, no, you don't, because things are going to get way worse than you think that they are right now. But I promise that your grief is going to be turned into joy. And he uses this illustration. What's awesome, he uses this illustration as he's kind of going through this great lesson. He says in verse 21, when a woman gives birth to a child and has pain because of her time has come. But when the baby is born, she's forgotten the anguish because her joy that that child is born into the world. And he gives this incredible illustration, right? He doesn't say that the, that the, that, that the trouble goes away. No, he says that the, joy, the trouble is turned into joy. That what is bringing you trouble today will be the thing that brings you joy tomorrow. That the very thing for this, for this woman that's experiencing this pain of childbirth, the very thing that is causing you pain in this moment will be the very thing that brings you joy over here. And so listen, the confusion that you're walking through right now, the struggle, the trouble that we're walking through right now will be the very thing that brings us joy if we just hold on to him. He's going to take those troubles and those sorrows and he's going to turn them into, transform them into joy. He transforms those things. It's a joy that's coming. He interrupts that, that, he interrupts that, that sorrow with, and transforms that sorrow into joy. It's a joy at the resurrection of Jesus that he's going, to, he's going to restore all things. Charles Spurgeon makes this, uh, this point about this passage and, and looking forward because they don't have the... the, the the ability to look forward at this moment to see what's going to happen on the other side. But, as, but we can. We can turn the pages and see what happens on the other side. And Spurgeon makes this, this observation about, these, uh, about this moment. He says it's remarkable and instructive to us that the apostles don't appear in their sermons or their epistles, their letters later on, to have spoken of the death of Jesus with any kind of regret. That the Gospels mention their distress during the actual occurrence of the crucifixion and in this moment leading up to it. But after the resurrection, especially after Pentecost, there is no such grief heard in the disciples' voices. Because their sorrow and their trouble has been turned into joy. They're no longer grieving. They're no longer struggling with what Jesus is saying because their sorrow has been turned into joy and they even can face the sorrow. And this is what Paul says, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Even though I experience the greatest of trials, the greatest of persecution, I can do all of this because Christ is the one that strengthens me. All of that sorrow is turned into joy because I know him. 
And so how does he do that? What happens is that he's going what, what to, what's going to make that happen is that they get to see him in his resurrection. In verse 22, it says, so with you, now is the time of grief, but you will see, but, but I will see you again and you will rejoice. And no one will be able to take that joy away from you. That their joy is going to come and that he's, the death is going to cause them great sorrow. They can't understand what that means, but he's going to raise from the dead again. And in seeing him, that joy is going to be made new. In knowing him, our joy is made new. What was sorrow is transformed into joy and to hope and, and, and is, is transformed into what we can only find in him. And, and what, what is incredible about it is that that sorrow, that sorrow that's turned into joy in that moment will not be taken away from us. Because once we know him and see him, that can't be taken away from us. He frees us. We don't have to pretend, we don't have to, we don't have to pose as if there's nothing wrong and that everything is always fine. But Jesus says you're going to face these things, but that sorrow that you're going to face is going to have a timetable. It's not always going to be sorrowful. It's not always going to be trouble. You're going to walk through time troubles, but God has, he has defeated those things through the cross that Jesus has resurrected. And you're going to experience the joy of those things. And it may not be on this side of heaven, but for some of us, we will experience the joy of walking through sorrow and seeing the other side of it. Some of us, some of that sorrow won't be until, until we go home to be with him. But sorrow, but joy is not about a circumstance. It's about a person that we know is what he tells the disciples. Because you'll see me again. And that, that grief, that trouble, that sorrow that you're experiencing now will be wiped away. And you'll experience joy. I think about this for all of us. And just how precious it is to have a God who sees us and knows us and, and understands these troubles and sorrows that we go through. That when storms and, and, and struggles surround us, when, when we feel like every, everything is working against us. And this morning was one of those mornings for me. I, I, I did not sleep in. I did not miss my clock because of daylight savings time. I just chose not to get up on time which totally messed up everything else in the morning. And there was just like one after another things that were just, it was like, what is happening? And it wasn't until just a minute ago, honestly, that I was like, oh my gosh. These little bitty nuisances, these trials, these things that just, it, it's just a little bit, a macro view of this is it micro, macro, whatever, a mi micro view of what happens in our lives, these little bit of troubles. Because as soon as the worship started this morning, as soon as we got to be in here, all of those things faded away. And what was bringing me trouble and not sorrow, it was more just like, err, it all faded away. Because we were in the presence of God. And those little things mattered, those, those troubles, those, those annoyances just didn't matter in the presence of God. There's joy that was so much bigger. 
So we're going to ask the band to come and we're going to sing just a, a moment, a kind of a response. And sometimes we have t- times of response where it's really we want you to just kind of like let us sing songs over you or you just kind of process. This morning it's not really that. What I, what I hope that you would do is, is that you would stand and sing and, and, I, and sing. Really understand the words that we're singing and, and the song that we're singing where, where, he, where he brings, it says he brings it all the peace, the storms that surround me. Let them break at your name. That you cause the storm to still, the rage inside of me to still at your name. That Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. You silence the fears. You cause the bones to live and I will praise you. So let's sing this song and just declare the name of Jesus Declare that he is the one who brings joy into our sorrow, that transforms our sorrow into joy, that he interrupts our troubles and our sorrow with hope, the hope of life with him and the hope of life with him and the spirit inside of us. That his heart is, his heart in this moment is for you to experience the peace that he's purchased on the cross. And we want to declare that in the songs that we sing. His heart for you is to not fall away, but to walk in faithfulness to him all of your days. And he's provided the Holy Spirit to give you strength to do that. It was good that he went away. Because he, going away, he purchased for us salvation and he provides for us the Holy Spirit. And so let's declare the name of Jesus that is our peace and our joy this morning. Let's pray together. Jesus. God, I pray that you would cause the storm, to use the words of the song that we're gonna sing, that you would cause the storms that I know are happening in the lives in this room right now. That you would cause those storms to seal at the name of, at the name of Jesus, at the presence of Jesus. That reminder that you know that storm, that you know that question, you know that sorrow, you know it better than than any of us know it, and you desire to bring peace into that. You will transform that sorrow into joy. It has a timetable. It may not be today. It may not be next week, but it has a timetable. You transform that sorrow into joy. And give us just a, a taste of that this morning. It's in Christ's strong and mighty name that we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Share this episode with someone in your life. Make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcast and Google Podcast. Thanks for tuning in.